Psalm 67. Verse 1. God be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, um, even though we've had a little fun choosing what we're going to study tonight, the message is so important from your word. It's not just a speech. It's not just a discussion. It's the preaching of your word. And Father, help us as a church, Grace Baptist Church, to understand why we do what we do. And Father, I pray that this message tonight will stir our hearts, as we hope it will, the students on Tuesday. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been five, six, seven years ago I was preaching a sermon to kick off our missions month. And I had seen this verse, verse 4. Oh, let the nations know it's uh, verse 2. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. And I thought, that's a great missions verse, isn't it? Wouldn't that be a good text to talk about getting God's Word around the world? But I needed to discover the context of the text before I preached that. And what I saw first is the poetry, the poetry of this text. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. Whenever you see that word Selah in your Bible, if you have a study Bible, your note will say that it is a, a, a musical rest. So as the psalm was being sung, this is where you would pause or you would rest. And it does mean that. But in the Word of God, the supernatural nature of your Bible, that word also refers to the millennial rest. So whenever you see that word Selah in your Bible... It, mostly in the book of Psalms, it's found in the book of Psalms, but it's also found in the book of Habakkuk. And in the book of Habakkuk, where you see Selah, it is dealing with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see this word, it is always in the book of Psalms, always dealing with the millennium. And that's why we call it the millennial rest. It's the rest for the people of God. All right? So we see that in the text. Now, you can see that as you read it. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. When will that happen? In the millennium. Let all the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Now, we can all, as a church, we can all praise God, but is all of Sydney praising God today? No. Is all of Ohio praising God today? No. I watched the debate between... Uh, Josh Mandel and Sherrod Brown this afternoon. How many of you got to see that? There wasn't a whole lot of praising the Lord going on in that debate. So that's not happening now. Verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Look at what it says. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations. What's it say? Upon earth, Selah. 
Selah. Let all the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then, uh, would you mark that word then in your Bible? Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. When is that going to happen? Now, when you look at this, and if you uh, were studying this in a technical way, this is called poetry. But we understand it's not roses are red, violets are blue. Amen? It's different than that. It's teaching us something special, but we can't understand the poetry until we understand the prophecy. And to understand the prophecy, we need to go to Revelation chapter 4. And we'll come back to Psalm 67. Revelation chapter 4. Now remember, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, the apostle John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. He's being instructed by Jesus Christ in this way. Write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapters 4 through 22. And we understand that's the division of the book of Revelation. And here's how we know that, at least for the last part, it's very clear. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. After what? Look at chapter 3, verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the what? The churches. So at the end of the church age, Jesus Christ, after this, Jesus Christ speaks. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first verse which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Now remember what the verse says, write the things which are, or the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Look at what it says here. He says, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be, what's it say? Hereafter. So that is where we begin. The rapture takes place. All of the believers are taken out, and they're gathered together in the clouds. Is that right? The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we understand, you could tie that together. After this I looked, and a, a door was opened in heaven, and there was a voice, and a trumpet talking with me, and come up hither. All of that is the rapture. All right? And so we see that happening, and then if you go to verse 10, the four and twenty elders. Now, who are the four and twenty elders? As you study that out through Scripture, that's the church. That's the church. I don't have time to develop that, but understand, that's the church. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever. And look, here's what happens. What, what happens there? And cast their crowns before the throne. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to get crowns or we're going to lose crowns. And when we gain those crowns as rewards for our service here on this earth, we're going to throw them at Jesus Christ's feet. Why? Because He's worthy. Because He's worthy. Look at what it says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So remember, when Jesus Christ is identified as God, when God identifies him as him, Himself as God, He's identified as the Creator. Don't miss that. 
He's identified as the Creator. Now, look at chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of Him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to, loose, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand, of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four and twenty elders, or the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, fall down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, or the prayers of saints. And now look at what it says. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And we've all heard the songs, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, and we love to hear that and we love to sing it. And there's a celebration here. John wept because no one was worthy to open the book. No one in heaven or in earth or under the earth. Only the Lamb of God. How did He earn that right? Remember, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him, and given Him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. You see, Jesus Christ earned the right to open this book when He became the Lamb as it had been slain in verse 6. He earned the right to open that. No one else has the right to do that. Only Jesus Christ is worthy. And we sing about that. And it's a wonderful thing to say that Jesus Christ is worthy. But what is He worthy to do? He's worthy to kill half the population of the world. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when, what does it say? The Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, behold, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So he has a bow and a crown, and he conquers, but he has no arrows. He conquers with peace. Can you imagine if someone could bring peace to this mess that we have right now? Peace in Libya, peace in Syria, peace in Iraq. Peace in the Middle East. Peace around the world. Peace between China and everyone else. Peace between India and Pakistan. 
Can you imagine if someone could, could bring peace? He'd rule the world like that. And so this Antichrist will come. And the first thing he'll do is bring peace. You know what the problem is? The Bible says, Woe to them that cry, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, the problem is our world wants peace, but they're not interested in the prince of peace. The Bible calls, said Jesus Christ, Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. The government shall be upon His shoulder. When's that going to happen? In the millennium. They don't want the peace that Jesus Christ brings, so they proclaim a false peace under the Antichrist. Then look at the next verse. There went out another horse. Verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat there on to do what? To take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now, how are they going to kill one another? Antichrist is going to come in and kill them. What is the first thing that these rulers do, these worldly rulers do? What is the first thing that they do when they take power? They disarm the people. And so there's no way for these people to defend themselves because he is given a sword. The people kill each other under his order, under his command, and there's nothing they can do about it. Look at what it says in verse 5. When he had opened the third seal... I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. What's going on there? We understand from Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2 that a penny is a day's wage. So what's going to happen in the tribulation period is there's, is there's going to be an economic collapse and there's going to be a famine. And when that famine comes, you will have to work an entire day for a measure of wheat and for three measures of barley. And you cannot survive on that. You cannot live on it. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. Look what the Bible says. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. Death takes your body and hell takes your soul. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the field. I want you to think about this. There, a quarter of the earth, World War II, 60 million people died. Here, just like that, a billion and a half people are dead. So they die with a sword. They die from hunger, starvation, because they can't eat. And they die from death. How do you die from death? All the dead bodies, the disease that's going to come from these dead bodies, the pestilence that's going to come from the death. People are going to die from the dead bodies that are around them. And then the beasts. What happens when there's no longer anything to eat? Those beasts will come and find something to eat. They've never seen a Disney movie. These animals will eat you. That's what the Bible says. Is that right? That's what the Bible says. Now, and I want you to think about this. You can't shoot the wolves. Farmers are having all kinds of trouble in the Northwest. You can't kill the wolves. Do you know what a wolf will do to you? It will kill you. 
will come and eat you. And it's all being prepared. It's all being planned. Can't kill the bears. Can't kill the, 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 the wolves. Can't kill the, the wild animals. But you know that God promised this? Keep your place in Revelation. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 26. The poetry. We can't understand the poetry until we understand the prophecy. Look what the Bible says in verse 21. Leviticus 26, 21. And if you will walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Seven times more plagues. Seven is the number of what? Perfection. This is God's perfect, righteous, and holy judgment. And then look at what it says. Verse 22. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant." And when you are gathered together in your cities, I will send the pestilence among you. So what are we seeing? Beasts, pestilence, sword. I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Who's the enemy? Antichrist. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, a a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny... And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat it and not be satisfied. Ten of your families will bake bread in one oven. There won't be enough to eat. There won't be enough there. Verse 27. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you. Look at what it says. Also in fury. Can you imagine what the fury of God is? The fury, the righteous and holy fury of God. Well, look at what it results in. I will chastise you seven times for your sins. Verse 29. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. Job 2, four says, skin for skin, yea, all a man hath will he give for his life. See, what we have to understand about the tribulation period, the reason it's so bad, it's the righteous judgment of God. It is the fury and the last gasp of Satan and the unrestrained passions of an evil humanity with every believer the salt of the earth removed. It's horrible. How could a loving God do what happens in Revelation chapter 6? Because He told them in Leviticus chapter 26 that He would. It's amazing how we take the Word of God and the promises of God lightly. God said, My Word will not return unto me again. Void. He means it. Go with me to Revelation chapter 8.
Look at verse 7. We looked at the scroll judgments. Now we're going to go into the trumpet judgments. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. For they were cast upon the earth. Now look at what it says. And a third part of the trees was burnt up. And all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded. And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And look at what it says. And the name of the stars called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. How could a loving God do this? A third part of the trees. A third part of the green grass. A third part of the ocean. It's all destroyed. How could a loving God do this? Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Keep your place in Revelation 8. Deuteronomy. 29. Verse 15. But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day, verse 16, for you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which ye passed by. And ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you a woman or family or tribe, a man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations. Look at what it says. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall, and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart and say, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart to add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him. And then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. The Bible makes it very clear. He tells them, I will bring these plagues. I will bring these judgments. I will bring wormwood. If you turn away from me, and God has been offering himself to them now for 2,000 years. Does God mean what he says? He means exactly what he says. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. This is Proverbs chapter 5. Look at verse 3. For the lips of a strange woman... 
Remember Revelation chapter 17? The harlot that rides upon many waters. Look. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as what? Sharp as a two-edged sword. Remember Revelation 6? Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Exactly what it says in Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 8. How could a holy and loving God do to the earth what He is going to do? How could He do that? Revelation chapter 8. He promised. God means what He says. Look at verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Look, a third part of the sun, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars. They're just gone. A third of the trees, a third of the grass, a third of the the seas, a third of the creatures. They're all gone. They're gone. Hold your place here. The sun doesn't shine for a third part of the day. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. God means what He says. God means what He says. Look at verse 21. Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. Do you see that? Except those days should be shortened. That's not hyperbole. That's not poetic language. The days will be shortened because a third part of the sun, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars are going to be destroyed and the days are shorter. Why? Look at what it says. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake... Those days shall be shortened. Why? Because if he didn't shorten it, there would be no Israel left. Every Jew on the face of the earth would be dead. But because of his grace, because of his mercy, he shortens the time of trouble. Revelation chapter 8. Drop down in verse 9 with me. Look at what it says in verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay. What's it say? The third part of men. We've seen a quarter of the population of the earth die. We've seen people die through the starvation, through the pestilence, through the sword, through the wild beasts. We've seen them die, and now now another third of the world, we're talking three billion people are dead. Probably more. And still, look at what it says. Verse 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. 
You see, Jesus Christ brings horrible judgment to the world and the people still will not repent. Someone may say, I'll wait until the tribulation to get saved. No, you won't. God's going to send strong delusion upon them that they should believe a lie. Who believe not the truth of the gospel. That's what's coming. That's the prophecy. What a horrible, horrible time. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Who's the Word of God? Who's the Word of God? Jesus Christ. Remember what we saw? Thou art worthy, for thou, for, for thy glory, they were and are created. So the Bible says, we looked at that in Revelation chapter 4. Now look at what it says. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. Look at verse 6. So without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So get this. Please don't miss this. When you understand that He is, you understand that He is the Creator. If you reject His creatorship, if you reject the prerogatives He has for your existence, for your worship... For you to bring Him glory. If you reject that, you're rejecting Him. Because you've got to come to Him by faith. Believing who He is. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Get Genesis chapter 1. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Genesis 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see something. Let's go to Genesis 1 first. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 10, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and herb yielding sea, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights. Look at verse 16, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And verse 27, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, and male and female created he them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Open your Bibles there and look up at me. I want you to think about something. Think of what's happened in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 9. We've had a a quarter of the men destroyed. We've had the, 
the sun, the moon, the stars, the green grass, the trees, the sea creatures, the seas. We've had the, the, the creeping things on the earth. We've had the fowls of the air. We've had all of it destroyed. The sun, the moon, the stars, the rivers of water. All of it has been destroyed. God says, you don't want to worship me. You don't want to worship me. If we do not worship Him and we begin worshiping the creation, He said, if you don't want the Creator, you don't want my creation. If you don't want my sun, moon, and stars, create your own. You don't want my, my trees, my water, my grass, my creatures, my fish, my beasts. If you don't want them, make your own. He is God. The Creator of the world is not to be mocked. He's serious. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's in God's Word. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 26. For the earth is the Lord. And the fullness thereof. It's all His, folks. It's all His to do with as He pleases and He will. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that message. It's a message of destruction. It's a message of horror. It's a message of judgment, of death, of suffering, of sorrow. But He loves us. And here's what we think. people Surely people will turn to God. Listen, people die the way they have lived. People turn to, in tragedy, what they have been trusting in all along. In our world today, people are worshiping things. They're worshiping the earth. Is that right? Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 12. And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Can you imagine the horror? And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And look what they pray to. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Folks, this is so serious. It is so serious. They turn to what they've been worshiping all along and it will not answer them. Psalm 67. Psalm 67. We looked at the poetry. That was the prophecy. I want you to see the contrast. Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation. 
He sets His foot on the Mount of Olives. We come back with Him and He establishes His kingdom. And look at what happens. Look at... Remember what happens? Keep your place in Psalm 67. Go to Zechariah chapter 13. Keep Psalm 67 and get Zechariah. It's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 13. Look. Look at what happens. Zechariah 13 verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Verse, chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. You see, they cried God. They turned to Him. They say, you're our God. Lord, you're our God. We're, we accept you. We believe you. We believe you. And Jesus Christ returns. That's the day of the Lord. He returns. He sets His feet on the earth. And what happens? Psalm 67, verse 1. Now, let's see if we can understand this chapter. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. You see, worshipers want to see the face of Jesus Christ. Those in rebellion hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb and the face of Him that sitteth on the throne. Look at verse 2. That thy way may be known upon earth. Look, thy saving what? Health among all nations. Do you think there's going to need to be saving health brought to the world? You think? Look, let all the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. When do you think the last time was they were glad and sang for joy? Why are they going to do that? For Thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. When? Selah. In the millennium. Let all the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. Then shall the earth yield her increase. What do you mean then? Because a third of the green grass has been destroyed. The sun, the moon, the stars, a third of the oceans, dead things everywhere. Nothing's growing. It will now. It will now. Verse 7, God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall what? You know when people talk about reverential law, the fear of God being reverential law? Do you know what it is? It's fear. Because He's going to rule with a rod of iron. But it'll be righteously. Righteously. The poetry, we see it. The prophecy. What does this have to do with the way that we do ministry? Well, all the way back, going back to the first century, we understand that John, John the Apostle, believed in the soon return of Jesus Christ, didn't he? The book of Revelation is very clear. It's John himself who penned Revelation chapter 20, which identifies that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years as Satan is bound. The, the saints are going to return after the judgment. The saints are going to return after the judgment of the earth and rule and reign with Christ. John understood that, didn't he? So did all the early Christians. All the early Christians believed exactly what I'm calling, what I'm teaching you. They all believed it. So what did they do? 
They won people to Jesus Christ, baptized them, and established churches. That's what they did. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. Everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. They baptized the converts. They trained them and they established New Testament churches. They made copies of the scriptures and disseminated them because you can't be a Baptist without a Bible. They practiced this and did it in perpetuity. You had the Montanists all the way back at the beginning. The early Irenaeus in the first and second century, he taught a pre-tribulation rapture. You had uh, Justin Martyr. He taught it. Polycarp. He taught it. These people were disciples of John Papias. He taught it. Every Orthodox teacher from the time of John through 311 taught the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. What happened? Well, there were a group of people in northern Africa called the Donatists. The Donatists. And... Under, the, under Emperor Diocletian, the emperor of Rome, there was a horrible persecution. And some of these pastors in this area, these Donatists in northern Africa, some of their pastors, they recanted the faith under persecution and burned their Bibles and their theological works. They burned them. So after there was liberty, after Constantine, he comes at the Battle of Milvian Bridge in 311, 313, the Edict of Toleration. And now there's some kind of religious liberty. Now... There's some kind of freedom. But Damasus, the Pope of Rome, or the, the, the Bishop of Rome, he wants to place pastors in those churches. Well, those Donatists believe that the church is autonomous. It chooses its own pastors. And so they resisted. And then the men that they wanted to choose to be pastors, that, that Damasus was choosing to be the pastors, these were men who had denied the faith. And the Donatists, because the Bible says if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good thing, let him first be proved. And they said, these men, they've proven that they can't be faithful. And they required, they required a holy pastorate. And so, Damasus sent his representative, Augustine. And Augustine killed 30 thousand of them. He killed them. He slaughtered them. He killed them. And what he did was he said, we have a combining of the church and of the state. And he wrote it in a book called The City of God. And now the basic premise of The City of God is this, that we are bringing in the kingdom, that the church has replaced Israel and that if you teach that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, come and take us out and then rule and reign for a thousand years, you will be put to death. So from 300 on, if someone was going to teach a pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ, they were put to death, starting with Augustine. And it went on and on and on. The, the Montanists were accused of chiliasm. Chiliasm it means a thousand. They believed in a thousand year reign of Christ. The Montanists, the Novatians, the Donatists, they were all accused of it. The Albigenses, the Waldensians, all of these early Baptist people, they believed in a premillennial return of Jesus Christ. Pastor, what does this have to do with what you're talking about? You see, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is returning for His saints. If you do believe that, it's a, it's, that we have replaced Israel and it's our job to subdue the earth, it's our job to bring in the kingdom, then it's our job to heal the land. 
We can force people to believe. As the, church, as the children of Israel drove out the Canaanites, we can drive out anyone who doesn't believe in Christianity. We can kill them. We can make them believe what we believe. And what happens is, the gospel is lost. The gospel is gone. And so what happens? You have these people, they come in and kill, and they build hospitals, and they set up soup kitchens, and now... They bring the social gospel because they're bringing in the kingdom. When it's not our job to heal the land, it's our job to plant churches. You see, you have the poetry, which we understand because of the prophecy. And through that, we understand our perpetuity. Jesus Christ said, Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He has sent us out to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to build people up in the faith. We lead people to Christ. We do not heal the land. Why? Because that's His job. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and heal their land. You see, that's not just poetry. Our land's fine. I've got to mow my grass three times a week. He's going to heal the land because He's going to first destroy it. Until that day, what's our job? Preach the gospel. Plant churches build people up in the faith, and send them out to do the same. That is Baptist missions. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, you've given us such an amazingly powerful book.